Get down with D&D. Yeah, you know me. Get down with D&D. Yeah, you know me. Get down with D&D. Yeah, you know me. Who's down with D&D? Yeah, you know Get down with D&D. Yeah, you know me. Get down with D&D. Yeah, you know me. I'm down with D&D. Yeah, you know me. Who's down with D&D? Are you ready to get down with some D&D? I know I am, and I am joined, as I am usually joined, by the mighty, modern, and merry Mad Wizard Merwin. What is up, Sean? Happy Earth Day, Chris. Happy Dingus Day, Sean. Happy Easter Monday? Yeah, happy April 22nd, because that is the day. Hey, look at that. (laughs) All right. Now that we know when we are. Yes, where are we? We are here on a podcast talking about Dungeons & Dragons, because that's what we do, right? That is what we do. All right, now that we've been ridiculous for 30 seconds, let's get into the announcements for the day. Let's, let's do it. There's a lot of announcements. There are. I mean, uh, yeah, it's been a little while since we talked, and some cool things have happened recently. It's true. So Critical Role, uh, that Kickstarter finished, and it ended with over $11 million. It did, uh, and almost 90,000 backers. Can, can I put this into perspective for you for, um, for reference purpose? I could use a little perspective in my life, Chris. Cool. So... This is the highest film and TV Kickstarter that's ever been kickstarted. Mm-hmm. the The next closest one was Mystery Science Theater three thousand when they did their new season mm-hmm. for five point seven million dollars. So that this has doubled that. <laughs> yes, and doubled it quite easily. Yes. So and that was you... and that was Mystery Science Theater three thousand. Uh huh. So I mean, D and D may be greater than Mystery Science Theater three thousand. I'm not sure. Yeah, well, at least uh, in terms of money to be raised by interested fans, it sure is. Yeah, it's it's kind of crazy. I, I kind of love it a lot. Yeah, yeah, it's it's amazing and wonderful, and and I can't wait to see what they do. Uh, did you see the um, the article that James Hake posted about it? I did. I saw the article, but I did not have time to read it yet. All right, so it's on D and D Beyond. It talks a little bit about how um, the this could bode really well for future D&D products mm-hmm. as far as like media and entertainment products because this isn't even a thing that's going to have the D&D label on it. True story. Right? Like this is just a th- like a cartoon. story. Yeah, this is a cartoon and the story part of it, I mean, it is based on a D&D game, but they and they're they're sort of referencing how these characters are D&D characters, but like there shouldn't be anything D&D inside of it except for maybe spells and things like that. Right, and they they would have to get permission to do that. Yes, so it would be very, it would be very interesting to see if they actually do get permission to do that. You know. Yeah. Well, I mean, wizards, it would behoove wizards to work with them, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, and and then wizards and Hasbro getting on making their own stuff quickly. Yeah. the The nice thing that Hake said, um, I thought that was clever, was. Because which is kind of what you just said is that this show it'll be very much in the critical role um, wheelhouse, which means it's a little bit body and it's a little bit um, over the top at times. I imagine that the the show will be this the show will, will follow that because this is for for that right right, which means that there's a whole wide open space for Wizards of the Coast and and Hasbro to do something that's a little bit more family friendly or kid friendly mm-hmm. without you know I mean and. When I say that, I don't mean like 80s Transformers, which is honestly a terrible cartoon. I mean, I love that stuff. Don't get me wrong. But if you go back and watch, it's really bad because mm-hmm. it's, a, it's a toy commercial. Right. But like modern animation style, like if you see the new, new Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, 
uh, like it is a, that is a modern animation thing. Like th- there's like really cool cartoons that come out now that are not talking down to kids these days yep. that are for, that are aimed at kids and that adults can watch too. So like, I'm hoping that something like that pops up. Yep. The iron is definitely hot at this point and ready to be struck. I agree. I'm looking forward to seeing what they do with it. Mm-hmm. Uh, so the next one is, uh, tell me about, there's a, you can now get a print version of the adventure Atlas. It is correct. Uh, the PDF has been out a while now, but, uh, the hardworking folks, namely James Intracasso and Rich Lescoufler, have updated the, the PDF. And now on uh, DM's Guild, you can buy a softcover version of Adventure Atlas. So if you were waiting for that, because we said it would be out uh, as when we released the PDF, we just didn't know how long it would take, and it took exactly this long. So now if you are looking for 88 adventures that use all 22 of the Tactical Maps Reincarnated product, that was released by Wizards a couple months back, you can get it. It's already a gold bestseller on the DMs Guild, and it is just a few sales short of platinum at this point. So um, it's gotten all five-star reviews so far. I think it's a pretty solid product. If you like tactical games and you uh, bought that Tactical Maps Reincarnated, it is the perfect companion piece to go with it. I got one beef with yeah. the, the the product. It's because they're selling... The PDF and soft cover for a higher price than just the soft cover and the higher price than the PDF. I, I just have a thing with that. That's a, that's a personal thing. Like if I you, always think. Yep. If you I bought always, the, I'm sorry. If you bought the PDF, and you uh, are are subscribed to Adventures or uh, DM's Guild emails, you should have gotten an email saying thank you for buying the PDF. Here is a link to get the uh, soft cover at a cheaper price. Oh, well, that's that's nice. That's yep. that's good. I like that. Okay, so uh, where are we going now? What's the we're next gonna go thing, to, We're going to go to talk about box text. Ooh, just, I'm just excited about this. Because it's funny, because I'm kind of on the inside of this. On the uh, Slack channel that the Guild Adepts use, there has been an ongoing discussion of box text for probably a year. And I think we've covered pretty much every angle that you could in our discussion. And so James Intracasso put up on his uh, World Builder blog, his, I'm sorry, his any award-winning World Builder blog, mm-hmm. uh, a, an article about we can do better than box text, where he covers you know, all of the points that we've been discussing. And someone saw that, or a few people have seen that, and now on social media, the follow-up conflagration if you will has been has been burning about uh, box text it's on facebook it's on twitter i think uh what's the the comic book uh there's a there's a website i forgot what it's called uh but they picked it up and you know discussions have started so it is a great topic i think to talk about and because we are talking about adventure design in you know the next several episodes i think we'll be talking about box text but if you want to get into that conversation, you can go pretty much anywhere. It's, it's on, like I said, the Facebook, 5e Facebook group. They're talking about it. Um, and it's it's out there. It's a it's a topic. Uh, hop in on the action if you so choose. Which means I will not pr- provide my opinions on box, te- box text now because we'll talk about it in depth at some point in the, in the future. Probably in the very near future, yeah. Yeah, it might even be next episode. It could be. I think we might do introductions or like hooks first. Yeah, that's uh, probably a good idea. But then but then box text will be soon after, yeah. 
All right. Uh, number four, there was a Washington Post article on, on D&D, how Dungeons and Dragons somehow became more popular than ever. Mm-hmm. Um, I read through this thing. I thought it was a great article, but I also like the Washington Post. So, yeah, I mean, it's it's a great article. It it doesn't break too much new ground in terms of the articles that have been coming out recently and more mainstream media uh, outlets about D&D and people playing D&D and the benefits of playing D&D and all that. Um, mm-hmm. But it was still, you know, it's probably one of the largest circulated periodicals that are now that's now talking about D&D. So I thought uh, it was very interesting. It's it's crazy because it's a Washington Post article, right? Exactly. <laughs> right. Exactly. Like, that is nutty. Um, I mean, I, 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 I could see it like breaking into like the video game spaces and like uh, IGN and things like that, which are mm-hmm. really popular, like they have lots of readership, but that's also for games media, right? Exactly. Not for the Washington Post. Yep. Uh, my favorite part of the article was this part. Um, uh, women in particular love the new edition. D&D was originally a nerdy guy thing, emphasis on guy. Yet the number of female players is at 38% and climbing, according to Wizards of the Coast. Their involvement is driven by web series such as Girls, Guts, and Glory, which is conceived by eight young L.A. actresses. It started as a way for them to hone their improv skills and get together for a scheduled bonding time. Not had much prior experience with D&D, and early episodes were met with some cynicism. Actually, a lot of cynicism. There were very rude comments, says one of them, Kim Hidalgo. Like, oh, they're just models that Wizards of the Coast hired. Erica Fermina says, or there's no way they actually play. No one plays D&D who looks like that. Someone compared us to the Monkees, a manufactured group. A girl band, Allison uh, Grison says. The, the trolling has since been replaced by devotion. One mom in coastal Georgia confesses that not a slumber party goes by when her 12-year-old and her friends don't tune in. Mm-hmm. So that's, a, that's an awesome turn, right? Like, yeah. good. Thank God it turned, because it's that, that, whole, that whole idea or rumor that like, there's a certain kind of look or people that play D&D, that's ridiculous, mm-hmm. in my opinion. And um, I can tell you that Wizards of the Coast, at the at the at least at the point where that show started, was not hiring people to play D anD. d Right? They are they they are riding a wave, and it is not a wave that they started, ex- except for of course creating the game. Well, when you um, so the Washington Post article, it's it talks about how the game is more streamlined, like it's less. Mm-hmm. I mean, so like I play a lot of games that are very narrative based, right? Like. So, like, to me, like, there's still a lot of mechanics inside of 5th edition D&D. Sure. But compared to previous versions of, of Dungeons & Dragons, this game is so much more simple. Yep. Yeah, I um, was talking to a friend. Uh, I went to Washington, D.C., and I was visiting with a friend this weekend who played 1st and 2nd edition and then skipped 3rd and tried to get into 4th again, and he said, I just couldn't do it. It was way too complicated. It took way too long to, to do anything. Mm-hmm. Um which is true. That's not necessarily true. a bad thing, uh, depending on your your uh, what you like. But it, it was that's just the case. So he's back, he's into fifth edition now and really loving it. Yeah, like a complex encounter in fourth edition, it would take me sometimes with seven players, which is a lot of players, but mm-hmm. would sometimes take me fifteen minutes to get through a round, a round sure. of of a yep. complex encounter. Oh, in yeah. fifth edition, that same that same encounter, a round takes me about of of similar leveled like characters. It takes me about, you know, three, four minutes to get through. Like, sure. it's just easier. It's just, yep. it's just more streamlined. It's it's a more elegant, faster game. Mm-hmm. Um, and it plays well being, yeah. you know, it's got the name, and it plays well to the the um, the um acting community. Like, oh, the sure. improv acting community, the game plays well to those folks. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Plus, it's got the D&D name. <laughs> yep. So, it's all coming together very well, as the Washington Post tells us. And it was, and the other interesting thing was talking about, 
people who are using the game with their children, especially like autistic children, um, to help them socialize or help them get a grasp of you know, ways to socialize that um, that are more confined. And so it's easier to manage at first. Mm-hmm, because there's not as many options, right? Like there's just this, it's yeah. a, this pretend box play. Exactly. And, you know, other parents were saying we were looking to get our kids off of the technology and things to do with them. And D&D was the perfect thing. Mm-hmm. It's, a, it's a really fun article. Um, it's really show, highlights a lot of the, the good things about Dungeons and Dragons and, and things that we, a lot of us have been all saying for years, right? But sure. like it's, and now it's more, it's better because the Washington Post is saying it. Yep. And next is news about the Stranger Things Red Box set. I haven't so, gotten it yet. I have not either. Um, but it's interesting because reviews are starting to come out. And I guess I shouldn't be surprised uh, that it it's getting mixed reviews. I think it's probably because it's not really made for current D&D players per se. Um, so in the box, you get the rules uh, to start playing D&D 5th Edition. But it's themed uh, in a Stranger Things way with the art mm-hmm. and with the with the text. Um, you can go through the D&D universe of the Upside Down as one of the characters played by the Stranger Things gang. So they have character sheets included, five of them, that match the characters being played by the, by the kids on Stranger Things. Uh, you get six polyhedral dice and two figures of Demogorgon, one to paint and customize. That's cool. And the box itself is a special red box design that's supposed to harken back to the you know eighty three red box, but the cover has um, has a Stranger Things theme to it, and there is a short adventure in there as well, supposedly written by Mike Wheeler, the kid who was the DM in uh in the Stranger Things show. You know, I will I will say this to the to the listening audience, if a listening audience would like us to acquire this box and review it. I, I need at least 30 of you to let us know that you want us to do that. Otherwise it's just not worth our time. That's right. So I'm, I'm going to, I'm going to get it for sure. Mm-hmm. Uh, but if you want to hear us go through it, uh, let us know. Yeah. We'll take, if, take a, if, a segment and, and do so. If 30 of you do so, we'll, we'll totally do it. Yep. So let um, us know, let us know on Twitter. Um, if you want to hear that. Or, or we'll just keep doing what we've been doing, which is, you know, talking about adventure design. Yep. <laughs> Uh, Amazon has its own D&D market page. Yeah, I thought that was pretty big news, actually. Uh, it, because, it's not small news. <laughs> right, because to, you know, to get your, your own sort of market on, on Amazon is, is not an easy thing to do uh, for anybody. So having its own page where you can go is wonderful. And if you look at the page, you just go to um, – well, we have a link in the show notes – but if you go, it has a big, nice Dungeons and Dragons logo at the top, and you know it's got different sections: getting started, key storylines, uh, board and card games, fiction and nonfiction. So it's it's divided up, and then there's big, you know, new releases section, a featured section, um, apparel and accessories, all all sorts of things. So it's really helpful, I think, for especially new people coming in to know where to start. Uh, you know, go to the new or all you need to get started section, and it lays everything out for you really nicely. Yeah, I kind of, I kind of love it. Like I'm, I've been looking at the the page for a good chunk. The last, like I, I spent, I've just already spent about ten minutes 
like trolling around it. Like right. there's, it's got a lot of stuff on it. Yep. And so, you can sort it in a whole bunch of different ways too. You know, the one thing I did notice that wasn't on there that made me sad was, um, I guess there's no more copies of, um, uh, uh, Lords of Waterdeep. Like it's sold out or it's not oh, a really? print. Yeah, it's, huh. it's not in the board. It's not in the board game section. I mean, I, maybe I should just go and type in Lords of Waterdeep and see if it's on on Amazon somewhere. That's funny because I was actually going to buy one for someone, and I'm 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 going right now. Chris. Oh, I'm you there. can get it. It's not on the D and D page. It's in the Wizards of the Coast page, though. Yep. Or it's it's in there. It's like shop for toys or whatnot. Like, yeah. Um, no, but still, it's still in print. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't know why that's not on. Yeah, the the page it should be. It's like one of the best selling board games I've ever made. Yeah, true. All right, well that is that. That is that. Uh, I suppose we should get into our main topic for the day, huh? Let's do that, Chris. All right, so we're talking about types of adventures. This is continued from last time. Mm-hmm. Um, we've been talking about adventure types, which we've been talking about heists, dungeon crawling, investigation, exploration, dramatic conflicts, and, and event-based adventures. Uh, we talked about heists, dungeon crawling, and investigation last time, and sieges. And sieges, which is, yeah. Which is a, a type of event-based adventure, but it's a very mm-hmm. specific type, which is very prominent in fantasy um, literature and gaming. Mm-hmm. So we, we wanted to talk about that. But uh, today we're going to talk about exploration, dramatic conflicts, and event-based uh, adventures. Mm-hmm. And to refresh everyone, these are frameworks. Now, uh, frameworks, to refresh everybody once again, is a type of structure that we can hang the details of our adventure on. They're sort of like templates, right? Or, or like these... Uh, like outlines or like boxes that we fill in. That's mm-hmm. the best way to describe them. Yep. Um, the structure informs the gameplay of the adventure and which mechanics will be highlighted more than others. Mm-hmm. All right, so let's get into it. Let's talk about event-based adventures. And let's and uh, the, the example that I have is like guard duty, but the siege is another one too, right? Like, so we've already kind of mentioned a bunch of this stuff, but let's do it again. Sure. Um, so usually event-based stuff is like you are set to a task, and while you're engaging in that task, Things start happening. That is pretty much the whole uh, mm-hmm. idea of an event event based adventure, right? Yeah, I think it might be useful to t- describe event based um, adventures by saying what they're not. So the the dichotomy I always hear: um, you have event based adventures on one side, and location based adventures on the other, and. So if you look at that dichotomy, now it may not be a true dichotomy, but it's a way of referencing one versus the other. So a location-based event or adventure is where you go off to the dungeon and you explore yes. that. Whereas uh-huh. an event-based thing doesn't isn't necessarily tied to a location. It's a tied it's tied to things that happen to the characters as the time moves forward. Yes. Um so that that's the, the that's the the big difference that I usually see. Now you can say, well, events happen at locations, when, and that is true. But in a, in location based, locations are more important. Whereas in the event based, the events are more important. Yes, that's um, and I guess so. So I, the way that I stated it was like you were set to a task, and while you're engaging that task, things start happening. Right. It also could be you were just. There, do it. You're just there, going about your normal mm-hmm. whatever, and right. then something happens. Sure. That I mean, I know we're talking about D and D, but that is very much the trope for a lot of superhero everything. Mm-hmm. Um, right. Superhero. It's it's reactionary a lot of times because something happens and you have to react to it. Yep. Yep. Um, also, while those things could happen 
in dungeons and in other in like investigations and things like that those are usually um those are usually small encounters inside of that framework mm-hmm. whereas an event based adventure this is the primary thing that happens to drive the adventure so like right. events are constantly happening surrounding a um whatever the the main focus of the plot is the yep. the the story the inciting incident of the, of the of the of the adventure yep the the events are driving the story rather than just simple exploration of a location mm-hmm. and usually there's more than one event like because that's why it's event based because there are a number of, of of things that occur that keep driving the action yep so an um, investigation is is a type of event based um adventure Right, because an event happens. Sort of the the yeah. the investigations are punctuated by by mysteries or trying to discover something. Right. So it is it is one thing that happens at the beginning that mm-hmm. incites everything forward. Sometimes are ca- they can be also like mixes between investigation and events because events occur. Like when you are trying to stop the serial killer, mm-hmm. that is uh, killing people. Like those are events that happen if you right. are not fast enough in the investigation. Okay. Um, so uh, I wrote an adventure that's basically an event-based adventure. At least the first half of it is. Um, it was one of the the Moonshade ones, the one I can't remember the name of it. It's the one where um, the Mark town gets... Corey? Yeah. Okay. The one that they it gets attacked at the beginning. Right. There are a number of things that happen in that adventure. Like There's a number of like little vignettes of like, mm-hmm. well, this happens and this happens and this happens. If you don't do something about it, then the bad guys just keep doing things and bad things happen. Mm-hmm. So like that is the the the, the basic um, structure of those things. Okay. Um, so I to do these effectively, I think the the idea of the unity of effect that we keep talking about is very important. Like mm-hmm. it's staying on theme and tone helps give that continuity that is very very important. Mm-hmm. Um, also, these uh these adventures like they could be up against known opposition or unexpected opposition. So that, that's another thing to think about when you're constructing these things um, of a classic version of this. And there's like movies and stories that you can reference for stuff like this is like escorting escort missions. Mm-hmm. Nobody loves an Nobody likes an escort mission right? <laughs> because the people that you're escorting are usually awful and never right. work. <laughs> right. Yeah. Um, and it's 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 antithetical to your normal D&D group that just wants to go out and kill something. You You have to kind of have a modicum of control and and some people aren't good for that mm-hmm. so like we're going to escort a prisoner or an important person to a place mm-hmm. and then of course you get you know people attempting to break them out or kill them or you know whatever whatever it might be um you know steal them or right. you know the, the a number of things right mm-hmm. um a lot of way a lot of times these things can feel like reverse boxes because the characters are the obstacle to getting the MacGuffin. mm-hmm Right. So uh, that is kind of a thing. I mean, of course, there's the other event base, which is like, oh, I mean, yeah, because the box, the MacGuffin could be like taking over the city or destroying the city, right? Sure. Like the invasion thing. Like that's what we talked about with the siege. Yep. They're essentially the, the the obstacle to stopping people. Yep. So like that's how you construct them. Like uh, whatever whatever the goal is, is the goal that the player characters have or the goal that the enemies have and then the player characters are thrust in the middle of it and then a number of things happen, like between three and five things usually happen and that usually creates a fairly solid event-based adventure. Mm-hmm. Um, man, the Pathfinder does tons of them. Yep. In their Pathfinder adventure paths. Sure. 
like uh, the one that I can think of that's pretty pretty much a classic, an old one too, is um, the second adventure in the Curse of the Crimson um, Throne adventure path mm-hmm. is a um, a plague breaks breaks out in the city, mm-hmm. and you and, and things keep happening as you're trying to deal with the plague, the magical right. plague that. They, uh, I mean, you think, but there's clerics everywhere, right? Well, they, there's so many people in the city that the clerics can't keep up with healing everybody. Mm. So, and this thing is too virulent, and I cannot pronounce that word effectively. Um, Ooh, yeah, that's a tough one. Yeah, vir- virulent. Virulent, yes. Thank okay, you. Um, and uh, and they can't keep up, and people are dying. Like so, like that's a really good good example in gaming of an event based adventure. Go mm-hmm. go find it; it's really good. Um, so that's that. Let's talk about the hex map and or exploration, right? Yeah. So, like, dungeons are explorations, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so we talked a little bit about that, but the dungeon's a very classic D&D exploration. Dungeons can be any kind of, you know, place to explore. Right, the and, other, and, they're, and they're more confined. They're, they're, they're very, very confined, yes. Right. Um, hex maps and even point crawls, which are another kind of exploration, are less confined and that is the neat thing about them um there's you feel like you have more freedom to walk around now these things can get a little bit dicey when you're designing them because uh sean like you have this problem like why am i walking to a hex that doesn't right. have anything going on it in it yeah um and sometimes that can just be about like you can you can sort of gloss over some of that stuff right you don't have to have something in every hex right I mean, what we're talking about now is another dichotomy that often comes up when when you hear people talk about adventure design, which is the sandbox versus the tracks, you know, the sandbox Mm -hmm. versus linear. Um, And I think the the hex map, the hex crawl sort of adventure is the the far uh, pendulum swing toward that sandbox approach. But there isn't necessarily any focus and so if there's if there's a hex map or a, a hex crawl sort of campaign that you want to run or adventure you want to play um you need to always be looking for that on ramp to adventure if you will yes let's talk about that for a second let's yeah. talk about two things with this let's talk about the focus and let's talk about the me- mechanisms that we tend to use to play these kinds of games and um if you want to play this thing, this is this is kind of why you should be playing it. Mm-hmm. Um, so the focus, like you're talking about that on-ramp to adventure, like I think that's extremely important. Like, why are you exploring this hex map? Mm-hmm. Like, that is the question that you need to answer when designing stuff for this. Right. It could just be like the king or the local lord or the queen or the whoever the region is. is like, look, we have all this wilderness over here and we're not sure what's out there. And we would really like to know. And we have some extra cash. And we'll pay you to go map it out for us. Yep. It can be that simple. Or it could be as simple as there's resources out there, gold, treasure, you know, or uh, whatever, magic. Uh, we want it. We're going to go find it. Yep, that too. That too. Uh, some rumor of that stuff out there, right? Yeah. That is enough to get adventure. If that's enough to get your adventurers to go out there and look around, then that's fine. Yeah. But you need you need an adventure within the adventure, right? Uh, you need to have some sort of hook, some sort of plot, some sort of uh, re- more reason for continuing other than 
we just need to explore um, because nothing gets more boring for most people than you go off, okay, this hex is forest. In the forest, you fight the orcs. Uh, you find the treasure. Next hex over is plains, and you find the goblins, and you fight the goblins. You know, it, there, there needs to be a story behind it uh, somehow. Something needs to be there. Well, so two two ways that you can go about that. One, you could pre-write your story out of that, or after a few hexes, you need to, as a game master or as a facilitator of these games, um, start constructing a story out of the things that have happened. Now, if you're if if you've pre-planned your hexes, then that's you you have a little bit more. There should pre- probably be a little bit more front-loaded, right, Sean? That would be mm-hmm. my opinion. Sure. If if you haven't pre-planned your hexes and you're doing it off of random charts, which is a perfectly viable way to play, then at some point after they've explored like five or six hexes, maybe you should try to figure out where this thing's going. Yeah. Like you can either ask the players or you can scribble it down yourself. Like, oh, all these these humanoid races are out here. Um, maybe they're combining together to maybe uh you know have some sort of summit. So maybe I should probably put another. If I'm rolling randomly, like maybe I should put a thing on my random chart for this one or put it out here in one of these hexes that, well, here's where the summit's going to happen. Yeah. Yeah. A a hex crawl sort of thing can make a fun campaign, but not necessarily a fun adventure. Because for me, an adventure needs to have a middle, you know, beginning, middle, and end. Um, And that sort of hex crawl just can go on and on and on. So you could have adventures within the hex. Uh, but not necessarily make uh, the whole hex crawling a, a single adventure. Yeah, that's probably closer to accurate. Like it, you, you probably can have yeah. an adventure based on a hex map. So here's the other thing about this kind of play, because um, an adventure that has this kind of stuff. That's why. That's kind of one of those reasons why, like, you need to have a distinct um, goal, right? Right. Uh, so the. Uh, the other mechanisms of play that you can use in this stuff is like resource management. Like how far are we going to go around? Um, How is it going to affect our, our resources when we are in this hex? Like, are we going to, is weather going to be a factor in this? And when it, when like there's different kinds of weather that occur, how does that affect our, our resources as we're moving around these hexes? Mm -hmm. And it's, it's to me, it's a really good play style for Mm -hmm. tiers one and tiers partial part of the way through tier two. Right. Yep. When you get too high a level, then you get, the ability to look look ahead without ex- actually exploring or make ex- exploration too easy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So um, that's the hex the hex map or the exploration kind of adventure, right? Yeah. Like exploration is about... I talked about hex map, but there's also like other kinds. You, you were going to say something? Yeah, I was just going to say, you know, when we talk, when I go back to that dichotomy of a linear sort of railroad adventure um, versus this sort of sandboxy type of adventure. Um, the, the criticism of the quote-unquote railroad, and I know that that's a loaded term that we could talk about again for several episodes, mm-hmm. um, but the criticism of railroad is, well, we have no choice, right? You could say the same thing about a fully open sandbox is your, your choice is you can go anywhere you want, but there's nothing interesting in that choice, Except, well, there's no point. There's no right. purpose. Right. So it's it's the same underlying issue of a lack of choice. It's just with with a linear adventure, there's a lack of choice because 
the story is pushing you in a direction. With Sandbox, there's a lack of choice because there's no information. There's no interest in a story at all that would give you the reason to make a choice. Yeah, I think the thing that I'm sort of like trying, I'm trying to avoid a buzzword, right? Right. The, the buzzword I'm trying to avoid is emergent play, an okay. emergent, an emergent adventure, right? Mm-hmm. Like, because because those things can happen if you um, if you plan out your random chart, if you're going to use random rolls mm-hmm. for your hex map. Mm-hmm. Also, if you design your hex map in a certain way, then the hex map can funnel the adventurers towards a cup, sure. towards some interesting choices, and it can be an adventure. Right. Exactly. Exactly, and but so, that that takes thought ahead of time. That it takes does. planning. Uh huh. Um, it does, yep. and, and you can even plan that through your random rolls if you want it to feel more random, right? Mm-hmm. Like there's there's some ways to do it. Um, one of my sure. favorite ways is that whenever a, an encounter on a hex or, or an encounter on a random random chart happens, you cross off that encounter or right. that 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 hex. So then it funnels you towards. Like, well, this happened and this happened, this happened. You never know when you're really going to get. And of course, you can do it where you like you move to the outside because if you're mm-hmm. using like two d six, like you're always moving. Like sevens are the most sevens the most common. Sure. You move out. Yep. Um, you, as you cross them out, it keeps moving to the outsides, and then of course the two outside, two and twelve, are your your major encounters, right? So you never know exactly when they're going to happen, but they're going to happen at some point. They they have to because you're going to run out of options, right? Yep. Yep. And and the, you know the random thing is great. And you can make that so it can be random, but it's always a part of a larger story. Correct. That's why so, your random chart can be this thing that drives yeah. the story. Or you can just put that stuff in the hexes that will eventually point towards the hexes that are the most important. Yep. Um, so that's for hex mapping. You can do the same thing with um, point crawls. So point crawls are like you just draw a web map and the interesting locations are on the web map and they're just connected by different lines. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's like you're just moving from point to point. That's why they call them point crawls. Mm-hmm. You can have an interesting um, exploration-based adventure that way. Dungeons can be constructed that way too, but dungeons we usually associate with maps, mm-hmm. not 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 that thing that I'm talking about. Right, not the web map uh, points. Yes, mm-hmm. um, I think that's enough for exploration, right? Yeah, yeah. Uh, just just to finish up, the things that I tend to highlight for exploration as far as mecha- mechanisms that don't get used all the time is like resource management's a bigger deal. Like mm-hmm. how you're um, how you're feeding yourself and moving from place to place and and getting around and dealing with the weather and getting back to wherever your home base is. Mm-hmm. Uh, okay, let's talk about relationship maps. Okay, so this is drama. Drama in your drama in your D and D game. Drama mm-hmm. in your fantasy game. I mean, who doesn't love a soap opera, right? <laughs> now, I know everybody just sort of shrugged. Like, go watch soap operas. It's really <laughs> amazing how how much you can learn about how to relate characters to each other from just watching like five episodes of a soap opera. True. Um, these are often the, the these kind of things are often secondary parts to D and D games and campaigns, but they can be used in other styles of uh, of of frameworks such as mysteries and investigations too. Like to have like an, another beat that you can utilize. If you've heard us talk about story beats before. So these are the connections between the characters, the conflicts, the alliances, the secrets, and the motivations that exist in circles of people. Mm-hmm. I mean, if you want the best pop culture reference for it, just go watch the eight seasons of Game of Thrones and you'll see how this all works. <laughs> it's true. It's true, right? The, the whole, the whole, everything about Game of Thrones is essentially a giant drama- dramatic web map. Mm-hmm. You can you could draw it out, and as people have died and been manipulated and pushed around, you just keep crossing names off your list and, and evolving the relationships between people. Yep. Um, 
so like I like I said, they they often look like these web maps, and you have these lines between the characters, and you can draw information around those lines which relate the characters to one another. So to structure this out, you you initially need to decide how these characters are going to relate to each other overall. Like, is this a small town that you're utilizing, part of an organization or rival organizations? Are these family members? Are there nobles of different houses? Are these groups of adventurers? Like, those are all the different kinds of structures. Mm-hmm. Um, you can decide a thing or two based on the relationship to draw these characters into conflict with one another because conflict is important to drama because you can't really have drama without conflict. Mm-hmm. Um, you place the characters of note on a piece of paper and put a circle around each one individually, draw the lines until each one is connected by one or more characters, decide how the thing or two relates to each character, why they want it, what's why it's important to them. Like usually power is a thing. They, they could be that vague or they could be more specific. Like everybody wants this MacGuffin. But once you start giving people reasons to get to have a MacGuffin, then it's, then it becomes drama, right? Mm-hmm. Um, decide the relationship between the characters based on the lines that were drawn. So like, that's another thing. Like if me and Sean are mortal enemies and we both want the sword of enlightenment, it's, it's going to be a different thing than if me and Sean are best friends, but we both need that sort of enlightenment for different reasons. Mm-hmm. Like we'll have different, we'll have different interactions based on how those relationships are drawn to each other. I, I want to stop you for a second and, and maybe clarify something or ask you to clarify something. Sure. You're, you're talking about characters. Really. You're not necessarily talking about the PCs, uh, although you could be, but uh-huh. really you're talking about, either the the NPCs or the power groups that are within the campaign. I'm talking about that, and I'm talking about the player characters and how they relate to those power groups. Perfect. Okay, thank you. So it could be any any and all of those things. And you can do this stuff between the characters if you want to also at the beginning, so that it helps them give them some motivations and things like that too. Mm -hmm. I think that's a thing that D&D tends to lack, Mm because while it has bonds and flaws and things like that, it doesn't always do a good job of putting the characters, connecting the characters to each other. Sure. Um, But this also gives you a a broader connection in the greater scheme of things. Mm -hmm. Um, Also makes it feel like the world actually exists before you start playing. (laughs) Right. Which is, which helps. Sure. In my opinion, it helps. All right. So um, once you've decided those relationships and how that sort of works together, then you can craft an opening scene, which starts the action involves the characters that are important. And you can, you know, craft a couple of scenes in a row to to introduce characters that you need to introduce and how they kind of relate to the situation. Mm-hmm. Um, if you want a small movie that's not Game of Scene, Game of Thrones to, to look at that, go check out Clue, the movie Clue with Tim Curry. Yep. Um, that's a really good one. Another, um, if you're looking for a game that has this kind of example, the Murder Mystery Dinners, like if you've ever seen Murder Mystery in a Box, mm-hmm. like... That does it really well, too. It has, like, connections to different characters. And you don't have to, like, the thing is, you, like, you don't need to connect, like, a character to every other character in the thing. You only got to do it to one or two. That's enough. It really is. Um, okay, so help me out here, Chris. Sure. I, I'm, I'm looking at this and listening to what you've just said, and I'm trying to envision this to help me create a four-hour adventure. Okay. So could you walk me through that? All right. Um, So we need a thing that everybody is interested in. Okay. So, and and that sometimes involves another framework that we have to use. Okay. It doesn't always, though. It could be like, um, 
it could be even a couple of things. Like there's a couple of NPCs in the situation, um, and they sort of have they sort of relate to characters in some some different ways. So like okay. one character is like a bunch of characters are vying for this person's affection or approval in some way, shape, or form. Okay. I mean it could it could be all that. Okay, here we go. Check it out. Mm-hmm. All the characters are are siblings, right? The mm-hmm. NPC that we're talking about is um their 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 parental figure, their primary parental figure. Okay. What they all really want is this parental figure's approval. Okay. Now, there could be a bunch of other characters surrounding that too, like the people that grew up around them, um their former adventuring party people, um uh somebody who's been like their servant for a bunch of years because let's assume this person that's the parental figure is a retired adventurer that mm-hmm. did rather well for themselves maybe they slayed a dragon so now we have this um we know what the characters kind of want which is approval of this parental figure um we can have some other relationships drawn to these characters mm-hmm. so like one of the former adventurers is maybe supposedly one of the characters uh, actual parents right like they've always seemed a little bit outside and this other character's always kind of been around um the uh the one character has a much closer relationship with the the person who's been the the, the parental figure's servant for all these years right like okay. and they have a they have a close relationship now now we know what they want and then we can introduce some other thing that throws everything off like oh um he's the parental figure is dying so now there's a timer on getting this person's approval, but like then there's all the the baggage that goes along with it. Like these things take a little bit more time to set up, and the design of these things go more into the characters than they go into any kind of adventure because okay. you're basically setting up a situation and then saying, "Okay, let's go. What do you do?" Okay, so this would be a, an overlay, as you said earlier, for maybe a different adventure. Correct. So but it may, provides yeah, maybe, a lot of different play. Right, maybe they're going off into a dungeon, but the drama, um, the motivation, is is what's driving them rather than any MacGuffin within the uh, dungeon. Well, here here's a better overlay for it for for the thing that I just described. Um, Event based adventure. Someone's trying to assassinate the parental figure mm-hmm. from the from the past. Okay. Because you know we used to be an adventurer, right? Right. So now like they're back because someone's trying to kill their parental figure. Okay. All that's right, why so, they've all gathered yep. together. That's definitely a, like a one-shotty type thing, and it's a very specific thing, but like that was just me riffing off the top of my head. Okay. Uh, like, another one could be like, oh, look, the um, the main thief in the Thieves' Guild, and you're all part of a Thieves' Guild or associated with a Thieves' Guild in some way, mm-hmm. has, like the head thief has died. There's a power vacuum. What happens now? Like, okay. Are people making power plays to get into that power vacuum? Are they trying to p- promote somebody in there because they actually have other things that they want to do? Maybe they, maybe they're they've been um, uh, indebted to this thieves guild for a long time, and this is a way for them to maybe get out of their indebtedness by putting by helping somebody else get into that position of power. Mm-hmm. It, it just depends on how the the connections are drawn, right? Right. Or it could be an exploration kind of adventure, where. The exploration, rather than exploring a dungeon, is exploring these relationships. Well, yeah, that's. I mean, that is exactly what these dramas, these relationship maps, are all about: exploring right. these relationships. Instead of scenes of like going from hex to hex, the scenes are usually how are these two people interacting, or these groups of people interacting, mm-hmm. and what are they asking for, and what are they giving, and then what do they do with that information? Gotcha. That's why okay. the motivations are so important. Um, yeah. It's a very not D and D style of play. Mm-hmm. 
um, as far as mechanics go. It's actually right. a very D&D style of play. You see it play out at tables all the time. Right. Um, when it's you're not going. Yeah. Not necessarily go. the main thrust of the adventure. Usually it's not. Right. Um, there, there are very few adventures that I can think of off the top of my head that at all really in D&D that do this thing. I would actually greatly approve if somebody could point one of them or two of them my way. The the second Ravenloft adventure, the something of Griffin Hill, I can't remember the, the exact title. Oh, was where, it like that? Yeah, well, the, the the characters are locked in a castle at a dinner party, and things are happening. And a, a much of the intrigue is what are the relationships? Who are these people that you're in there with? And how, how are their relationships um, causing what's going on? Oh, that's interesting. That's really cool. I've actually heard of that adventure before. I've just never read it. Yeah, it's been um, a while, so I don't remember the details. So the, the mechanics of the game, um, there's there's the condition charmed. That mm-hmm. That is one that will fall into this kind of play a lot. Like, who who do you actually have charmed? Because it's not a magical effect. Charmed is just a status. Right. Um, which is important to know. Like, I think a lot of people forget that, right, because they're so used to the charm spell. Right. Uh, so that's a thing that people can can kind of lean on, but there's no negative one. Like there's no enraged, right? Like there's no angry condition, as far as I know. No. I mean, there's frightened. Like frightened could, and you can modify that a little bit, play with that idea. Like, like somebody's actually scared of somebody pretty consistently, and not make it a magical effect, but just make it like a consistent thing until they've like done something to actually overcome it. Mm-hmm. Sure. Uh, like maybe some of the characters are all scared of their parental figure or scared of somebody in the thieves guild. Like it makes sense because they can have you murdered, right? Mm-hmm. True. Um, so you can play with those two conditions in, in a game like that as far as like using utilizing mechanics, but you can use a lot of like wisdom saving throws and charisma, charisma saving throws and, and charisma, different charisma checks and things like that. Um, a lot of deception um, checks in these kind of um, plays, uh, but it is important in these kind of games, it might be more important to take a step outside of your character when you're playing sometimes to be like, and for the game master, the facilitator to ask, like, are you lying? Are what's your, what's your goal here? And it's, it's really more about you understanding what everyone kind of wants out of a, out of a role and out of a scene. And then making sure that the roles actually kind of help really move things forward. Mm-hmm. Like this is, you can't as the facilitator, as the game master, the dungeon master, you you cannot. It, it, it behooves you to definitely not like make too many um, rulings that are outside of the dice rolls. When you're not sure what's going to happen, you should probably just ask for a dice roll. Yep. And then play off of the motivations that have been set up previously. Agreed. All right, that is uh, dramas. Drama in D and D is tricky. Like I've been it, doing it for a long time, but it, the mechanics do not support it super well. True. Uh, so that's that's the that's the that's all the adventure types. It is. I think we did a great job over two weeks of covering a lot of ground. It's a lot of stuff, right? It's yeah. a, there's a ton of information out there, and and I think this is one of the reasons why there's not a lot of um. Like the dungeon gets a lot of support, but a lot of the other stuff doesn't get a lot of support because it would it can fill a whole book on its own. Yeah. Uh, so I guess we should do some Patreon shoutouts then. Hey, let's do that. Yeah, and then we'll then we'll get out of here, and next week we'll come back with something new. I'm not sure what we're going to do next week. There's like a whole outline of things, but we'll get there. Mm-hmm. 
All right. Uh, Craig, just Craig, the Lord of One Name. Eileen Barnes, the Duchess of Pandas Talking Games. Andrew Dacey, the Warden of Whiskies. Eric Bontz, the Duke of Gators and the Lord of Beefness. Todd Crapper, the Prophet of Probability. Schmitty, the Keeper of the Labyrinth. Kevin Lovecraft, the Royal Beard. P.K. Sullivan, the Queen's Royal Rocketeer. G.M. Gerrymander, the Lord of the After Show. Toby Sennett, the Baron of Britannia. John C. LeMay, the Guard at the End of the World. John Carney, our Court Necromancer. Robert Dorgan, who is the Dragon Lord of Down with D&D. Christopher Gray, the spy master of Misdirected Mark Productions, Michael Dinos, the Inquisitor of Mark, Jesse Edmond, the Royal Doctor, Donnie Harville, the Lord of the Slack Room, Brian Kurtz, the Royal Doctor of Physic, Andy Olson, the Duke of Dice, Merrick Blackman, the Royal D&D Reviewer, and Rob Eberzato, the Gauntlet of the Queen. Uh, that is our royal court. You get that title by giving us $10 a month plus a bunch of other stuff. But uh, speaking of patrons, if you'd like to be a patron of Down with D&D, you can click on the link to our Patreon page. And if you just want to give us like $1 a month, We'll get you, like, the after show and some other things. But $2 a month, we'll get your shout-out. Mm-hmm. And for $4 a month, you not only get a shout-out, but you also get to see our pre-production show notes. And you get access to our Misdirected Mark Slack room, where you can chat with us wherever and whenever you choose. And we're there a lot, actually. Like, I, I see those messages pop up all the time. Yep, as long as you at me, I'm there. Mm-hmm. Um, if you can't help us monetarily, the other thing that you can do that would really help us is give us an Apple Podcast review or a review anywhere, but Apple Podcast especially. Yeah, because they help us uh, get spread around the internet and people hear about us, and, and that's a good thing. Mm-hmm. Sean, where can we find you on the internet? Uh, you can find me best on Twitter at Sean Merwin. How about you, oh, Chris? Yeah. Well, the show on the network is at Misdirected Mark. Uh, that's that's the primary place to get a hold of us on the Twitters. You can also just go to the website where you can catch other great shows, such as this one, which is The Lounge. Hey, Sean, did you know that aside from editing this wonderful podcast that we put out, he Doc Palindrome, he also goes out and finds the best, the brightest, and the most fun game designers to sit down and have cool conversations with them? I did know that. I've listened to quite a few of them, and they are excellent. Yeah, and you never really know what's going to happen in those conversations. Like, when he talked to Phil... Because uh, he's been going around and, and getting as many of the misdirected Mark folks on these shows as possible. They talked about the X Men for like thirty minutes. Sometimes you have to. Sometimes, Sometimes you have, you have to. to. They're they're both pretty big comic folk comic people. Yes, they are. And Down with D and D is a misdirected Mark production, the media arm of Encoded Designs. Yes, it is. So, Sean, what are we going to do now? We are going to go kill some monsters. You down with D and D? Yeah, you know me. You down with D and D? Yeah, you. You're down with D and D. Yeah, you know me. You're down with D and D. Down with D and D. Yeah, you know me. You're down with D and D. Yeah, you know me.